Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's amazing how many unintelligent people look. They're absolutely astonished at it. What is the matter with these people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. When everything else is going on around the world, the whole entertainment game this week is focused on Ukraine and Eurovision. They are almost certain, and I'm making this call, and later on I'll ask a very good pal of mine who's actually in Turin at the moment and knows his Eurovision backwards. I think Ukraine are going to walk away with it. Not because of the great song, because it isn't, but because of the situation and the public vote and all of that. Uh, we're checking in with uh, the great Dermot Manning in Turin. He was at the first of the two semi-finals last night where Ukraine got through. Not a bother on them. And I'll check up with Dermot. And you might remember last year, only one of the people we spoke to with regards to Eurovision last year predicted Italy. And that man was Dermot Manning. And when he did, I laughed at him. He said, no, I'm telling you now, he said, Italy. Everyone else was looking at Malta. We were looking at this, that, that. He said, no, Italy. So I'll be getting a call from him today as to what's going to win this weekend and I'm I'm not exactly happy about it because I don't think the Eurovision should be used this way but I do think that um, Ukraine are going to walk away with it on Saturday night also this is Celiac Awareness Week May seems to be the month April and May seem to be the month where pretty much everything has an awareness day or an awareness week Celiac Awareness there's a lot of celiac out there an awful lot of celiac out there and sometimes it can completely disrupt your life until you get a diagnosis I've been talking to one young woman from Cork who was diagnosed with it last year. Also looking at how we might make Cork City a bit more child-friendly. This comes up frequently enough, do you know? And some of the people who sit down to discuss whether Cork is child-friendly or not, or how you could make it more child-friendly, they've never had a child. Or they've never had to go around town with a child in a buggy and another one by the hand trying to find out, you know, where we can bring them 
what we can do for them is there even a toilet for them to go to so a bit more about, about that too what would you think would make Cork City more child and family friendly and plenty more to come besides all of those but I want to start and again we start this morning with uh, a warning a content warning because what we're about to discuss is upsetting but it's an ongoing news story it has about another week to week and a half to run I speak of course of the trial of Karen Harrington uh, 38 years of age charged with the murder of Santina Cawley on July 5th 2019 at apartments in Boring Manor Road in Cork she is pleading not guilty to the murder we're into the third week we heard very distressing post-mortem evidence from Dr. Margaret Bolster in the last couple of days. And the focus yesterday was on Garda statements, Garda interviews conducted with Karen Karen Harrington and what went on during those interviews and the things that she said to Garda. I'm joined by freelance journalist Olivia Kelleher, who's attending the trial. Liv, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. And this is, if it's possible to get more upsetting by the day, this definitely is. Yesterday, focusing on Karen Harrington's interviews with Gardy, particularly, I think, the last one they recorded. It was. It was the fifth Garda interview um, Karen underwent following her arrest um, in connection with the death of Santina. Um, Karen basically said that she accepted the evidence pointed mainly to her, but she repeatedly emphasised that she wasn't responsible for the murder of little Santina. Um, as you say, it was the, the fifth interview which was recorded. Uh, the DVD was shown to the jury and um, K- Karen told the investigators investigating Gardi that she couldn't explain herself, but she said that the scene suggested that she went mad. Um, she said, this all says to me that I went mad. Um, she said that all of the evidence was pointing to her being the culprit. Um, but again, she emphasised that she wasn't responsible for the death of Santina. She said, it's looking like I did. I never killed anyone in my life. This is pointing to me. I would never hurt no one, never mind a child. The evidence is all on me. I would never hurt a child. I've been around children all my life. Um, she went, Gardy showed her images around the room of the scene in the apartment. And at times she became quite uh, upset and, and crying. And at one stage she said that she felt sick looking at the images. Um, she said she couldn't give an explanation for what occurred but she said she didn't commit a murder. I didn't murder Santina Cawley. I would not harm a child, let alone murdering a child. Um, she said that all of the evidence was coming towards me. Um, Detective Guard David Noonan um, put it to Karen that no stone was being left unturned in the Guard investigation. And he says that all of the evidence was, was painting a picture. And um, he pointed to a picture and he said, what do you see in this picture? And Karen replies, Applied that she could see Santina's hair on a sofa. Um, when asked how she knew that it was clumps of Santina's hair, she said that it was the same colour of hair as the child. It's the same colour as her hair, auburn. It could even be my hair. I don't know. Um, she was also shown a picture of a child's earring on the floor, PJ, yeah. and Karen said that it was Santina's. She said Santina had them earrings. I got her ears pierced for her. 
Um, again, Garda Noonan said, how did the earring end up on the floor? She said she didn't know. Um, she could said she could see where all this is leading, but I don't know. Mm. Um, there was a moment, to, I think, was there where Garda Noonan put it to her in the interview that was watched yesterday by the jury on DVD. He put it to her that she was smiling. He put it to her that she was smiling, yes. Um, she denied that she was smiling. She said um, that she was just thinking. Um, she, she basically, uh, I, I think it was a whole, there was an, quite a bit of, of crying. Um, he said that, you know, you're smiling and um, Santina will never smile again and that her family deserve answers. And again, um, Karen said, yes, um, the family deserved answers, but she didn't have an, any answers because she she wasn't responsible for the death of the child. Um, Guard, Detective Sergeant Noonan put it to her that she taunted the child. Um, she said, I wasn't taunting the child, um, that she'd no reason to taunt the child. Um, Detective Sergeant Noonan again said to Karen that Santina had sustained horrific injuries and at one point PJ asked her how hair could come away from the head of a child and uh, Karen said oh oh, Jesus Christ but she just said she just didn't know how it occurred Um, Detective Sergeant Noonan um, asked her if she had ripped off the child's clothes um, because Karen, he had pointed to a picture of a, a child's top and Karen had said, you know, what she had seen. And he said, look, it's torn. And did you rip it off? And she said, again, she denied that she'd ripped the top off the child or, or hurt mm. um, Santina in any way. Mm. Um, she said, Tolgardi should give them an explanation of how Santina ended up critically injured. Um, if she could, she yeah. said, everything I've said to you is what I remember. I'm in the front room. I wake up and I have an argument with Michael. And then Michael goes out. I put Santina down and I fall asleep. And when I wake up again, Michael is standing in front of me with the child. I was roaring and shouting because I had an argument with Michael. I was ranting and raving to myself after ele- after he left. Um, she said that she, she, I suppose, basically, fundamentally, she said that all of the evidence was pointing to her, mm. but she never, you know, she never, she repeatedly said she that she was in no way responsible. Yeah. Now I know that uh, one or more of the investigating guard, I think, who conducted those interviews, took the stand, Olivia, and they were questioned by her defence counsel. He was. Uh, basically, they said that the uh, the purpose of the first four guard interviews were to get um, a full account of, of what had occurred uh, from Karen. Um, and then in the fifth um, in the fifth guard interview, the, 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 they would challenge the evidence. Um, I suppose they at one stage, Detective Guard Noonan explained to Karen that he, he was simply following the evidence and he asked her how Santina's blood could have ended up on her on leggings, uh, female leggings found in the apartment. Um, Harrington, Miss Harrington claimed she had no recollection of wearing them or changing out of them on the night in question. Um, I have no answers. I honestly have no answers. It's frightening. Um she agreed it was possible she could have been wearing those leggings that night, but she, again, she stressed she, she had no recollection. Mm. Um, I mean, it was a 150 minute long interview uh, with Detective Garda Noonan and Detective Garda um, Brian Maher. And, um, you know, it was quite a, a lengthy process. Mm. Um, she, she, she said it looks terrible. It looks very bad. It looks bad. I don't know. It all looks crazy like. Mm. 
What's the atmosphere like in the court as this is going on? Um, yeah, I suppose this is the first time we, we've actually heard Karen Harrington speak. Um, it, it has been tense, uh, at times emotional, um, a very di- a very difficult case. Um, I, I suppose anything involving the, the, the death of, of a young child is, is very emotive. But um, I suppose it, it's just coming towards the end yeah. now, uh, PJ, of the prosecution evidence. We're anticipating the prosecution evidence will, um, will conclude today and we'll go into defence mm. evidence. Uh, Brendan Grehan, the senior counsel for the defence, um, cross-examined uh, the investigating Garda, Detective Sergeant Nugent, Nugent um, and he said that in spite of the challenge, the accused never changed her basic account of what occurred. You did all that, but she didn't budge. Um, she had the right to say no comment. Karen Harrington cooperated fully in the interview. And previously, um, an investigating Garda, Garda confirmed that Har- Harrington had no history of violence on the um, on the Garda record. So the case will continue today, PJ. Yeah. And I would imagine that it'll go into next week. Yeah, listeners, just to uh, advise them, I suppose, Olivia, when it comes to a defence... Karen, Karen Harrington has an absolute right to decide for herself whether or not she intends to take the stand. What's the feeling? Will she? Do you believe? Do you believe she will? No idea. We haven't received any indication whether she will or not. There, okay. there has been nothing. Um, but I suppose it'll continue today. There's a jury of seven men and four women. The twelfth juror was excused from the jury last week. Okay, all right. So it's it's been a lengthy and difficult trial, I suppose, for for people. Very much so. Thank you, Olivia, for that. Olivia Kelleher, freelance journalist, writing today journal and other publications. But the latest uh, evidence. In the case against Karen Harrington, who denies the murder of Santina Cawley on the 5th of July 2019 at apartments on Boring Manor Road in Cork. And there is a national counselling service for anyone who experienced trauma in childhood. And it's prudent that we give you a number for that should anything you've just been hearing affect you or anyone belong to you. They're open Wednesday to Sunday, 6 till 10 on a 1-800 number, 477-477. That's 1-800-477-477. Or there's a special number for Cork, which is 1-800-234-116. 1-800-234-116. You can pick up the phone and talk to the Samaritans, if you so wish, at 116-123. Or you can just talk to your GP. Or talk to someone. 0818 96, 96, 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live. With now. Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork. Cork's 96 FM app. Cork's 96 FM. Few of your ideas coming in about what might make Cork a more attractive city into which to bring the kiddies and the family because it's lacking a bit, generally speaking. We've talked about this before, actually, on the programme over the years and generally 
the the finding or what people think is that as a place to bring your children on a day out, Cork does not compare well with other cities around Europe, particularly cities in Spain or in Portugal or places where people go on holidays a lot. Cork does not compare well. What would you like to see in Cork? We'll discuss it later. 0818 96 96 96. Now, on this programme, we followed in detail from start to what counted for a finish, the Debenhams strike. You'll remember that just before Easter in 2020, at the very start of the pandemic, Debenhams closed and the workers were told their jobs were gone. There followed a strike that lasted over 400 days in pursuit of some kind of payment, some kind of redundancy payment because the workers felt they had a right to a deal that had been agreed previously and they accused Debenhams of trying to wriggle out of that deal and whatever side of it you come down upon and some people supported the workers from the start some people said that the company was legally covered in what it did whatever part of the argument you took or chose to take it went on for 400 and odd days at the end of which a deal of some kind was done with the workers and the strike ended. But in the course of that, a bill was brought before the Oireachtas, uh, a piece of legislation that would, I guess, if it went through, forever be known as the Debenhams Law. But it, it was to protect the rights of workers when a company closed down. Valerie Conlon uh, was one of the people who spoke to us regularly from the Debenhams picket line. And Valerie, you and your colleagues are headed for the Doyle to make sure that law goes through. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, we are tomorrow. Um, So there'll be a group of Debenhams ex-workers outside the Doyle to protest, just to remind them that the year is now over on the 12th, which is tomorrow, and they have to pass the Debenhams bill. Now, remind people of why we've been waiting so long for it, because McBarry brought it forward, did he not? Yes, McBarry brought it forward and it got through to the second stage and then the government said that they'd put it on hold for a year. So um, we have to wait. We had to wait the whole year. I reckon they probably were hoping that we would forget about it. But we have been on to McBarry quite uh, early on, beginning of March, April, reminding him. We, he didn't need to be reminded. Mm. And um, yes, so we're ready now to... Mm to make sure that it comes in. It needs to be brought in. It has con- to be the content in of the, the bill, as, as I said to you, or as I said previously there in the introduction, like there were two, there were two sides to this. Debenham's argument was they were acting within company law. And you guys never once challenged that, that they were acting within company law. But you felt the company law needed to be changed to protect workers. That's what this bill does in two ways. Exactly, exactly. So it's going to bring the employees uh, up further on the creditors' bill, which should have been the way it should be all uh, from first day. Um, they promised something during clearies. They promised during any other the strikes that happened. Vita Cortex. And, uh, Vita Cortex, they promised it that, and they never done anything. So that's why we're not forgetting this. That's why we want to make sure that it's brought in. Because, because they're hoping that, like, like all the rest of them, that we'll go silent and nothing will happen. Mm. But I think after 406 days of strike, they should have known that we wouldn't be going silently. When something goes bust, as they say, the employee, and a lot of people don't realise this, the employee is at the very bottom of the list, the very, very bottom of the list. This bill would propose to lift them far closer to the top. It would also, if I'm right, uh, 
it would also enshrine in law that any previous redundancy deal that had been done before the announcement would hold in law, yes. correct? So any collective agreement beforehand, that's what, like, so they cannot say anymore that you're just going to get your two weeks statutory redundancy. It is whatever, statu- it is whatever collective agreement beforehand. So if, if people like us would have had the two plus two, then they would be entitled to the two plus two if they're brought up further in the creditors' bit. Because yes. pe- people said at the time, look, debitums are doing what they're doing and they're protected by company law, to which the contract was, well, let's change company law to make sure that they don't enjoy that protection going forward. Exactly. How is everybody it's outdated at this stage. Did you get the few bob that she wriggled out of them in the end? Well, it's still going through. Um, there's a lot of people after going for courses. It's probably um, it's taking a long time for once people have paid out their money, it's taking a long time for people to get their money. But it is starting to tickle through slowly. Unfortunately, there hasn't been a great uptake on it because I think people feel that they need to go to work at this stage rather than upskilling and um, it's sad really because they can take advantage of this at this stage even do night courses and whatever but I think people are just tired from it and the fact that it it went on so long because it really didn't start until last November and waiting from April of last year to November was a long time and people needed to know where they were going and what they were doing. Mm. Have many of your former colleagues gone back to work do you know did they find other jobs? Yeah there is. There's a few. A few have gone back to retail. I myself haven't. Um, I'm um, cleric doing clerical work, mm-hmm. but um, I swore I wouldn't do retail again, um, even though I love it, yeah. <laughs> and I will always love retail. But yeah, there's still a lot gone back to retail, and others have gone out to doing other things. Um, some have gone doing uh, childcare, and there is a few doing courses then as well. Yeah, some of the younger ones had a whole life ahead of them, even though they, have, they were very happy. In debitums, uh, well, hope. that's it. And you know, it probably gave some some of the younger people a little bit of a push, exactly. You know, to do mm. something else. Yeah, see where the building is now yeah. going on the market this summer. That'll be kind of the end of yeah. a chapter, won't it? Mm. Yeah, it, it is, and it looks so sad when you yeah. go up the beginning of Patrick Street there. You know, it really does. Mm. I walked up there this morning, actually, not long after seven o'clock, and I thought it looked awful sad, knowing that I'd yeah. be talking to yeah. you later on this morning. Yeah, very strange. It's a very whatever goes in there. Be very strange to go in there again, wouldn't it, Val? Let's 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 say for argument's sake, something like pennies opened in there. You know, it would be very very strange to go in, wouldn't it? It will be very strange. And we actually, there was a few of us actually got an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to go into the building because there is a documentary being made. Oh, and we got yeah, and we are we got into the building a few of us, and I'm telling you, walking around, it was. Emotional, and um, you just couldn't believe it. The place was empty, the state of the building. So yeah, it was very actually, it was very mm. emotional. And the few of us that did actually get into it. Tell tell me about the documentary, because in my own very very distant childhood, I worked in that building when it was Roche Stores. So tell me oh, about really? the doc- Yeah, tell me about the documentary. So uh, Fergus Dowd, the the person that's done the book. Yes. He has uh, got in contact with the producer and they are doing that. So they're looking into the whole Debenhams and how it went into liquidation and how it started in Ireland. And then so for the beginning of it, there was a few of the stores got in, like Henry Street got into their store. I think they got into Limerick last weekend. We done it a few weeks ago 
And uh, so, and just asking us about our story, about it, how long we were working, about the strike. Uh, so they're, you know, they're really going into it. They're going yeah, into the payments good. and where good. the money went to. And so it should be interesting when it comes out. And and had they permission? Did they have to get permission from the company to yes. go in? How did that go? <laughs> yes. Well, you see, um, some of us would be, uh, some of my husband would be friendly with um, the property manager of Roche Stores anyway. Of wise, um, so they were. That's how we were able to get in. He was able to contact them, and there was there was no problem. They had no problem letting us in. Yeah, yeah. So it's about it's about the strike and the debitums and the liquidation and, and all of that. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The whole story of it. Val, we've talked so many times. I probably asked you this before. Do, do you come from the Roaches days? Yes, I was working for 24 years. I was like, I probably would, even though it was 24 years seems a long time. There was other people working there for 42 and 43 right. years. So I was really only a pup in there. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't uh, this document, I look forward, will, will, it be for, will it be for television or will it be for private screening or what? Uh, well, I know they're going to try to get it into the Dublin Film Festival and the Cork Film Festival and they'll work from there then. Excellent, yeah, yeah, no, because I'm just thinking yeah. here, like, t- t- wouldn't that's a great documentary, and I look forward to seeing it myself when it comes out. But wouldn't it be brilliant to do one about the building and roaches and all of the stories yes. that could? I mean, if those floors could talk, could that, talk. <laughs> I know. My God, if those floors could talk. The I don't know if I want them to. The, 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 about the, the jagging and the weddings yes. and the crack. <laughs> And going up, going upstairs, going, going upstairs of a Friday when you were doing the nine o'clock shift and sneaking upstairs to see was there any ham left for a sandwich at half seven because you were starved and you couldn't get a break. <laughs> and, and and Rocky and Rocky and the gang and Dickie and the gang out in the parcel depot. Imagine the stories <laughs> you could tell. No, that would be a good one, wouldn't it? <laughs> Val, listen, good luck tomorrow. Keep in touch and we'll see where it goes. All right, thanks very much. That's Valerie Conlon uh, of the Debenham Workers. So that, that, they're going to be outside the door tomorrow looking for this bill to go through. A bill that would, and at the time that we put the weight of this programme uh, fully behind the workers, people were saying to us, but listen, but listen, but company law. And we said, fine, but company law, grand. Company law, fine, it is what it is. But this bill would move to change it, would seek to change company law. So that what happened to the debitums workers couldn't happen again. So that what happens to Vito Cortex couldn't happen again. So that what happened to Cleary's couldn't happen again. That's what this bill proposes to do is change that law. We'll come back to it. Jeannie, I tell you, I know I was only a small boy. I was only, I wasn't, I don't think I was even 20. Maybe I may have been 16 or 17. I was barely old enough to work. And, And I got my first, my very first job inside in Roach's stores uh, and I'd love to see a documentary made about Duns or about Roach's rather and the transition to Debenhams and if those floors could talk the stories they'd tell 0818 96 96 96 and it was a huge family in there a really really big family I only met actually about before the pandemic now it was a bit before the pandemic but I met him at an event in Douglas I was at an event with the boy, actually one of Phil Goodman's events, with the boy Wonder, and I met uh, Paul, the man who gave me my first job in Roche's stores all those years ago. I felt old, I must say. Can we just talk? The 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Corks 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. So the one second song has been wrecking heads all over Cork for weeks now. It's frustrating. You are joking me, Lorraine. It's infuriating. <laughs> but who is going to be the one to crack it? <laughs> Give it a go yourself. Join me every weekday from four. The big drive home with Cash and Carry Kitchens, Tremor Road, and Photo Retail Park. Talk to the kitchen experts about your free design consultation. See cashandcarrykitchens.ie On Quartz 96 FM Yeah, I was asking you there at the top about the kind of things you'd like to see in the city that would make it more family-friendly, more kiddie-friendly. There's a thing called the Cork City Centre Revitalisation Action Plan, which went before council early this week. All looks very exciting, which is strange for a report presented by such an austere body as KPMG. Uh, They don't tend to be too exciting or full of fireworks in in their presentations. No offence to anyone in KPMG. But they want to turn Cork into what they call a magnet city. A what? A magnet city, which is exactly what it sounds like, that we would be drawn into the city, that we would want on a Saturday or a Sunday, or a sunny Wednesday in July when we're off, we would want to come to town and do something in town. And it's a, it's quite a detailed plan. But it says, it, it looks at things like developing the food experience, the local food experience, working with the producers and the restaurants and, and the food service providers, like that we would have sort of a market with food, and arts and crafts not like the English market but different to the English market if you know what I mean and we'd have food we'd have open spaces um, for gigs or performances or dancing or skating I mean can you imagine where would you put a skate park in the city imagine putting a skate park where would you think now where would you put a skate park or can you imagine putting a, a skate park there outside hillbillies by the fountain or something like that. Or using more use of a river. They say we could think about boat tours. Hey, that's a no-brainer. We should be doing boat tours since God knows when. Boat tours, kayaking on the river, water taxis. There's another one that we've been talking about for a very long time. Water taxis. Like, there should be no good reason why if you're coming from Crosshaven or Passage, or Glenbrook, or any of those places. Now, you couldn't be able to pop onto a water taxi up into the city centre. Lovely activity. Super activity. Be great. It's all in this document that was put through the council's hands over the last few days. They also talk about, and again, like this is typical accountants speak, they want to undertake an audit of challenges filling upper floor vacancy. I was walking up Patrick Street this morning uh, on my way in here and a lovely morning, beautiful morning and just looking up and down Patrick Street as I wandered up. It's sad looking. It's It's got sad looking, do you know? And I'm thinking again of the amount of space that's upstairs. The amount of places 
that have one floor, two floors upstairs that are empty, that no one's used them for years. Wouldn't it be great? I think it was Dan Boyle who's been saying this for years and others like him. Wouldn't it be great if we had people living up there? If people could live. I'm just looking down again from Studio One, down into Patrick Street. And I can see directly down, I won't name the buildings now, but probably get them wrong from this direction. But I can see two floors, two floors, one floor, two floors. Empty. Nothing in them. Wouldn't they make great little apartments? If you go to a place like Palma, which is a city I love, Palma in Mallorca, you will find loads of small apartments on second, third and fourth floors. Small little apartments, single apartments for one person. But they're living in town. And I'm walking up Patrick Street this morning, it's about five, ten past seven, just got off the bus, came for a stroll, grabbed a coffee and came for a stroll. And like, this, on a, on a morning like this, it could be bustling at seven o'clock with people getting up going about their day. Your thoughts would be great. And on family-friendly stuff. Uh, the skate park. Where would you put a skate park? <laughs> Where would you put a skate park? Or what else? Bo- boats. Kayaks. People talking for years now. And I completely... An idea of a Lido. A pool. A swimming pool. Down by the side of the river. How great would that be? And WID is at 0818969696. A kid's museum says this one. This message, a permanent ice rink. An ice rink, yeah, yeah. Activities like pottery classes while mom and dad go shopping. Great idea. Creativity workshop. Kids tours, kids walking, special walking tours for kids. Yeah, great idea. They don't like being dragged around through shops. Or, or, or let them into bookshops and have their own section in bookshops. I saw this in London years ago in the Great Hamleys toy store. They have a whole corner of one of the floors in Hamleys, devoted entirely to children's toys and books. And they have a story, tiny children, I mean, small children, they have a tiny corner where a storyteller comes in every few days and just sits there for an hour, dressed up in full, telling stories, pick a book out of the shelf and tell the story. Children flock around them like bees. It's brilliant. Maybe tour of the harbour, that kind of stuff. Kids that took a trip on the water from Ringeskiddy to Customs House Quay had a picnic. It was lovely. I, I can't see why water taxis haven't been there for years now. Kevin makes the point. Uh, of always baffles me. Cork has a great harbour and doesn't make the full use of it. So your ideas, please, to 0818 96 96 96. Have we not thought of something that you're thinking of? Come come on the show and tell me. Your ideas are more than welcome because it's, it's our city, like... It's our city, lads. KPMG can produce all the reports they want. The council can vote on everything they want. But it's our city. Do you know? It's our place, our town. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, Fiona, we got this message a day or two ago, and I know that we've been doing some legwork in the background because person very upset about it. Um, it's a kind of a follow-on from the data leak last year. Morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, that's right. Um, the A lady contacted us um, this week and she was very upset and very concerned because she had received a letter from a hospital in the city and it had informed her that her personal information was accessed as a result of the cyber hack. And um, she was just wondering if anybody had received a similar letter and what this all meant for her. In the letter, it said that... Um, the information um, that had been accessed was her in, in 
included her address and contact details, her phone number and next of kin and her unique regional identifier number or her medical record number. Now, after that uh, call, she didn't want to come on air. She was very concerned and very upset. But we did contact the Mercy Hospital mm-hmm. and they issued us with a statement and they said that um, the Garda National Cyber Crime Bureau obtained the data from the Department of Justice in the United States under a mutual legal assistance treaty, which was processed by the US courts. This was following the whole um, um, attack on the, the cyber attack on the HSC's uh, database. Um, and the Mercy Hospital can confirm that the data returned to the HSC on the 17th of December 2021 included data controlled by the Mercy Hospital. There has been no indication to date that this material has been published online or used for criminal purposes. So I suppose that's um, going to give that listener some relief to hear that this morning. Um, the Mercy undertook a detailed examination of the material in conjunction with technical experts um, and the data has shown to be primarily personal data, medical information and general non-personal administrative data. Um, The Mercy has notified the affected people and engaged with the Data Protection Commissioner in accordance with the hospital's obligations um, and the members of the public do not need to contact the hospital to ask if their data was stolen. So if you haven't received a letter from the hospital, there's no need for any concern and you don't need to contact the hospital. The Mercy Hospital wishes to assure the general public that it has and is taking every step necessary in conjunction with the HSE to minimise the impact of this data breach and in as far as is practical to safeguard all personal data against any potential future unauthorised activity Mm. Um, and the Mercy has had a high court order in place since the 25th of May 2021 Mm -hmm. to stop all stolen data including personal and medical information that may have been stolen in the cyber attack from being published online where necessary the Mercy Hospital will enforce this order and take appropriate action to protect its information So in summary what they're telling us Fiona is yes some data from our database was compromised. Mm -hmm. No, we do not believe that it's been put to any nefarious use. If anybody's data was affected, we are writing to them to tell them. And if you don't get a letter, you've nothing to worry about. Exactly. Yeah, that's it, exactly. That sums it up. All right, thanks very much, Fee. There's probably others like that. The person who contacted us was very upset and and scared. can, Can you not just imagine you get a letter to say that your data has been compromised. Your data is among the data that compromise. But we're sure that we're sure that there's no harm. Imagine if you were an anxious person anyway. Anyone else get a letter like that? 0818 96 96 96. There's a company down here in West Cork who proposed a ferry from Crosshaven to the Carrigaline area, from the Crosshaven Carrigaline area, right into the heart of Cork. Turned down by the powers that be. What sense does that make with climate change and all that? Because the road from Ringeskiddy to Cork is chockers every morning. See, if they think of it themselves, there's a great thing in Ireland called Not Invented Here. N-I-H. Not Invented Here. So you can have all the great ideas in the world down in West Cork or East Cork. People are going around this city with their heads bursting with brilliant ideas. Brilliant ideas. But if they don't come up at the right table and thought of and, and, and people can't get credit for it at the right tables, it's kind of not invented here, so won't be any good. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Am I going to the doll? I am. 
Oh, no, they wouldn't elect me in a fit. No, I'm going to the Dáil talk to uh, Social Democrats TD Holly Cairns. This ongoing row, uh, unseemly, very unseemly row about the new National Maternity Hospital and to be very complex, to be honest with you. I, I Trying to get my head around it and trying to see both sides here. The government trying to tell us everything's grand, it's all tickety-boo, we've leased the place for... 300 years, there's no problem, we don't need to own the land, but we will own the hospital. And everything's fine, and it's all done in legal contracts and guarantees. That's, that's coming from one side. From the other side, you're looking at the history of the Catholic Church and its interference in the health of people and its interference in the treatment of women. Holly Cairns, good morning. Good morning, PJ. It does seem as if they're going to sign off on this, leaving a lot of people with concerns. And there'll be a lot of people with fingers crossed that they're right. Yeah, and you just said there that it's really complex and you're trying to get your head around it. And I think most people are in that boat. And ultimately, there should be no complexities or confusion around ownership for National Maternity Hospital. And just before we go into the details of the lease agreement, those complicated issues, the history of church control of women's health care. There is kind of an overall and broader point as well that has been kind of drowned out in this debate, which is that the taxpayer is funding a one billion euro hospital and then we're going to gift that to a private company. That is a terrible deal for the public and that has been somewhat lost in the discussion because there's so many other really important issues to address. But I just want to make reference to that first. Explain that, that bit for me itself, though, Holly, because it will be a public hospital, will it not? It'll, it, it'll run, it'll be run by the public health service and it'll be sitting on land that is leased to the state for 300 years. So what private company is involved in the day-to-day running or is it? So, yeah, we keep hearing, and actually you just referenced it there at the beginning, that the government will own the hospital and St. Vincent's will own the land. Uh, So the ownership issue is dealt with in Schedule 1 of the lease, uh, where in black and white it says um, that it will not be state-owned. And I can read out that wording, but it's just not, it's very clunky, it's not really good airtime, but it says, um, in terms of ownership, the first schedule, the premises, all that part of the campus being the property shown on plan number two and therein edged red together with any buildings erected or to be erected thereon together with all additions, alterations and improvements from time to time thereto or thereon, excluding the airspace above the height of, and they haven't inserted the measurement, and the subsoil beneath the premises. So they absolutely will own the building. But PJ, like just... I suppose before, like I said, going into those kind of the finer details, there's the the issue of the one billion of taxpayers' money being gifted to a private company. That's yeah. outrageous in itself. It flies in the face of Sloane Care as well, in that like this was a cross-party agreement that we would work towards, you know, a public health service, getting rid of this two-tiered system, no more private health care, and then the government are gifting a one billion euro um, hospital to a private company. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Then there is the issue of how this is actually happening. So if you zoom out, And like you said, look at Ireland's history around our religious orders and giving religious orders control, especially of women's health care. It's particularly harrowing. So we had, you know, the Magdalene Laundries and the mother and baby homes. And in this dual term so far alone, we've been dealing with legislation around the Adoption Information and Tracing Bill, the Burials Bill, the Redress Scheme for Survivors of Mother and Baby Institutions. We're dealing with mass 
unmarked child and infant graves throughout this country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that the government is even suggesting that our National Maternity Hospital be gifted to a holding company owned by the Sisters of Charity is it's like some kind of a sick joke is the only way I can describe it. And it's evidence, I think, of the disregard they have for people suffering in those institutions. It brings gaslighting to a whole new level when an organisation that systematically abused young women and girls for being pregnant will be gifted our National Maternity Hospital. And it's the biggest investment in women's health care ever in the history of this state. Mm. And like a bit of more recent history is that this deal goes back to 2013. It's the making of two previous Fine Gael health ministers, Leah Bradcar, Simon Harris, then this government. And since then, since 2013, when opposition have said that there should be a compulsory purchase order issued, they say that will delay it. So they've been saying it will delay it since 2013. I mean, Mm. you couldn't make it up. And then during this time, from 2013 to now, the Sisters of Charity actually promised to gift the land to the Irish people. Needless to say, that never happened. They instead gifted it to their own holding company that they set up. And now they want us to take their word to trust them, even though they just told us they'd give us the hospital and then they didn't. So due to the fact that understandably people do not trust that, the cabinet decision to go ahead with the deal was postponed for two weeks to give the public and the opposition time to review these legal documents for the deal for the first time. They were only made public last week. So those documents, like you said, it's difficult to get your head around. They're very complex, but they do not alleviate any of the concerns around ownership and the operation of this hospital. So we keep hearing, like I said, that the government will own the hospital and St. Vincent's will own the land. The ownership issue is dealt with in the first schedule of the lease, where it is in black and white, that it will not be state-owned. Then, of course, everyone so it'll will be, heard, Sorry, Holly, it'll be a state-run hospital, run by the state health service. But you're saying they'll be doing that within walls that are effectively owned by a private company. St. Vincent's, yeah, exactly. And then... Of course, so it's, it's not going to be state-owned. And then, of course, everyone will have heard the Taoiseach and the Minister for Health repeatedly saying, sure, it's only a tenure a year for 229 years. That's just as good as ownership. For one, we all know that no lease is the same as ownership. That's just obvious. And secondly, the lease agreement is dealt with in these documents, which were only released last week as well. That's in section four of the lease. And this also includes the conditions that govern that tenure or rent, right? So in these legal documents... The rent is actually defined as eight hundred and fifty thousand per year in the definitions, and and that seems to have been very carefully pushed aside by some people. At what point would it kick in that we have to pay the full eight hundred and fifty grand? So yeah, the document uh, so it sets out that that is the rent. The rent is not tenure. The rent is eight hundred and fifty thousand per year, and the document set a list of conditions that, if breached, will result in the rent reverting back to the 850,000. One of those is the hospital not being used for, quote, clinically appropriate services. Now, you will have heard that phrase a lot in relation to this discussion over the last while. There are, PJ, in these documents, they're very difficult to sift through. There are pages and pages of definitions, right? Basic things like the definition for National Maternity Hospital, the definition for ACT. All of them are defined in the document. And then, notably, the only phrase in all of the legal documents that has not been defined is that one clinically appropriate. No. And the Taoiseach has said in response to this. Yeah, mm. sorry. Here's a question, a layman's question. Yeah. So we know the things that should be allowed to happen at a state maternity hospital, and it's a very long list. Yeah. 
Is it a thing, Holly, as your reading of this, is it a thing that if the St. Vincent's group doesn't like something that is being done in the maternity hospital, it can bump up the rent to 850 grand a year? Yes, that's set out in the terms of the lease agreement. And so we know that other hospitals run by St. Vincent's, for example, I've seen a document that says they only provide, for example, sterilisation when it's like clinically needed rather than an elective surgery, something somebody wants. And so that is why there is such concern around the term clinically appropriate. So So if St. Vincent's don't think it's clinically appropriate, the rent can revert to 850. So when Stephen Donnelly was saying last week and when Micheál Martin was saying last week, absolutely anything legally allowed in law in this country will be done at the maternity hospital. They're leaving out a bit where St. Vincent's can say, well, you can do what you want. If you want to do that, you can do it. That's no problem. But the rent goes up. And if that is the case, why is clinically appropriate not just defined in the definitions alongside things like ACT? And the Taoiseach has said that the phrase was actually actually inserted by the HSC to make sure it would not be, for example, you know, cardiology or something carried out in the hospital because it's a national maternity hospital. It has to be clinically appropriate. But if that's the case, PJ, this is an interesting point. Why does the fact sheet released by St. Vincent's Holding Group refer to certain areas of the hospital being used by St. Vincent's Hospital Group to provide, quote, other health services in hospital, such as dermatology. Dermatology has nothing to do with maternity services. But the explanation that was there'd be more than one hospital on the site now, to be fair. Yeah, but then, so the point is, how does that clinically appropriate using the Taoiseach's definition of the phrase stand up? He's saying the reason that has to be in there is to ensure that it's like, oh, maternity services, not things like cardiology. But then St. Vincent's Hospital Group's fact sheet talks about dermatology. So the Taoiseach's defence of this clinically appropriate being inserted and not defined doesn't even stand up for a second. And then another question arises from that. Those other health services like dermatology, would they be private or public? You know, and just one last point on the, the those documents, a side point kind of worth noting is that Schedule 2 of the options agreement outlines the circumstances in which the state would be able to buy the site. <laughs> so the important thing here is that the legal documents already envision a scenario in which the state could buy the hospital. And that outcome is specifically provided for in those documents that have been published. So why doesn't it just buy the hospital? This is the thing they keep saying, oh, we can't. It's actually set out in the documents how they could. So of course they could. But on the whole, the Mm. thing is, there are very legitimate concerns about this, not just from the public or from members of the opposition, but from board members who dissented on this, from legal experts, you name it. And the government is making out, like in the doll yesterday, that we're playing politics. There's nothing to be seen here. It's the same nonsense over and over again that the government says. If you, for example, criticise an unjust redress scheme for survivors of Magdalene laundries or, or, or mother and baby homes or a burials bill that legislates not to intervene in most mass graves in the country, they say you're delaying it unnecessarily if you criticise it and you're mm-hmm. causing hurt. They're saying exactly the same thing about the National Maternity Hospital. Okay. It's word for word, the same playbook, and we cannot keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. 60% of the public don't want this. Why should we have this? It doesn't have to happen. i leave it there, Holly, for no reason other than time. Uh, Holly Cairns, Social Democrats TD for Cork South West. I don't know where you stand on this National Maternity Hospital. And frankly, I know where I... I don't know where I stand myself at, at, at this stage. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. There was a journalist called John Cooney. Uh, years ago, he was the political correspondent nationally uh, for our stations. Scottish man by birth, but uh, lived in Dublin for most of his working life. I'm not too sure if he's still with us. He may or may not be. But John wrote a wonderful, wonderful book. A tough, difficult read, but a wonderful book uh, about the legendary, or the notorious, depending on what way you look at him, uh, Archbishop John Charles McCraid, who ran the Catholic Church in Dublin and had such influence in law and in, in this country for years and years and years. And that book would frighten the living life out of you as to the influence the church had on law back in the day. But I don't I don't know where I stand on this maternity hospital. Someone on the phone said, look, we're waiting long enough for a new national maternity hospital. Are there things I don't agree with? Yes, there are. But we have to move forward. We can't always be looking back at what's happened in the past. This hospital is needed. And people are doing their best to bring it to us for those who need the hospital. Which, it's a point of view. We got a lot wrong in this country. A lot of people's lives were messed up. Thousands of people's lives were messed up. Nearly 900 babies are unaccounted for. Less than 15 minutes drive from where I'm sitting right now, down in Besbra. Nearly 900 babies unaccounted for in an institution that was under the control of the Catholic organization. We know that was horribly, horribly wrong. But is our caller here saying, look, we, we can't always focus on what went wrong before. We have to look to the future and do what we can for the future, because, as they say sometimes, the past is a foreign country. They did things differently there. I don't know. It's a great point. It's a great point. Hard to swallow, though, I guess, if you were directly involved or directly affected by the past. But thank you for that. If the Catholic Church as a body and group of organizations really want to build bridges for the damage they did in the years past, then they should gift the land to the people. I'm not up to speed with who owns the site or whether it belongs directly to the Vatican or what, but they can come together among themselves and fix up with whatever part of it owns the site to make sure they're made whole for the loss. The site has to come from the church to the nation. So many laws in this country were centred around the conception and delivery of a baby. And who caused that? The church. It made criminals out of people who never broke a law in their lives. I did read... And I'm, I'm searching in my mind for where I read it, but I know I read it at the weekend. And it struck me as worrying that uh, if you trace it back as far as it can go, 
the Pope, El Papa in Rome, could have a say, it's a stretch, but could have a say on the terms and conditions of that land being handed over for building a hospital. The Pope could have a say. It's a stretch, but that was something I was reading about over the weekend. I just don't know. Another call says, I was talking about this last night, and the, just, uh, the Justice Minister, rather, was talking about this last night and assured us everything would be fine. I think there's a lot of propaganda going on right now. There's a lot of division. I was listening this morning to a former minister, now a senator, who has concerns about many elements of it. And maybe our first message there says, look, this isn't perfect. This isn't what we'd want in a perfect world. But we don't live in a perfect world. You know? We don't live in a perfect world. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, can I let in the postman? <laughs> I, I, I might need to take a break because I can't get at the button to let in the postman. <laughs> Sorry, lads. Maybe someone can come in. Fergal, if you want to come in and let in the postman by by pressing the necessary button, you can do so. All right, because I can't. It, it's like 10 foot away from me, unless they ask people to talk among themselves for a sec. 0818969696. Now, Celiac Awareness Week is this week. And it's a disease that is out there, a condition that affects about 50,000 people in the country. And so many of them are undiagnosed. And people are walking around with this condition, affecting their life constantly. And they don't know they have it. Hannah, you, you're, you, you were recently diagnosed, I believe, with, with celiac. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Um, yeah, about a year ago I was diagnosed. Okay. And tell me, up to that, how was life different for you? Um, honestly, I felt very lethargic and bloated quite a lot. Um, I had multiple blood tests and so on and nothing out of the obvious, out of the ordinary, I guess. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I found out I'm celiac. As soon as I switched, I noticed a massive change and just more energy and overall feeling better about myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, do you mind me asking what age you are? I'm 30. Right. So 30, young person, living as full of life as you can, constantly feeling, feeling bloated and sick. And you said you had all the tests. Mm-hmm. And yeah, who, who, I, well, yeah, sorry. Who was it in the end said we should check for celiac? Um, it was my GP um, here in the Cork City Medical Centre. I, um, I went in for a blood test, found out that my vitamin B12 was really low, and it was like the third or fourth time that that had come up. And... Um, they were like, oh, maybe we should check why it keeps going so low. Um, and that's when they decided to test for anemia first, found out that I'm not anemic. And then they found out that it was something to do with celiac disease. Right. And I went and had the blood, well, full test then. Right. And how have you had to change your life with regards to having celiac? How, how have you had to change? Um, a lot of it is just trying to check every single ingredient for everything that you eat. If you go out for food, having to double check with the chef that everything is gluten free, it's so much hassle. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. At the basis of it is that your body is simply unable to tolerate gluten. Yeah. And, and what yeah, happens yeah. if you take 
gluten into your body. It it poisons you effectively, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. It messes with your stomach and with your intestines and so on. Right. It doesn't agree with me, basically. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of people out there now who say that they are gluten intolerant. And they may well be. That, that That's fine for them. But this is very different. Mm-hmm. They may be gluten intolerant, but gluten makes you sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people who are gluten intolerant would have very similar symptoms. They probably wouldn't be as severe, but they would also have symptoms when they, they eat gluten, so they should also refrain from eating it. Mm. Did you know, Hannah, when, or did, did you get a sense that something was, was wrong that, that, that wasn't being found? Like, were you, were you saying, this, this, this can't be right, I'm, I'm only in my late 20s, I shouldn't be this sick all the time, I shouldn't be this lethargic all the time? Um, yeah, I did. Um, but I struggled to sleep sometimes as well, so I just associated it with that. I didn't really think it was anything that serious until, obviously, I found out that I was celiac. And then as soon as I switched, that was when I kind of really noticed the difference. Yeah. How quickly after changing um, your diet? It was after a month or two. Right. It started to get better, and then gradually over the few months, well, year now that I've had it, that I've... um gone completely gluten-free is when I've noticed the complete change. Is it hard to maintain a totally gluten-free diet? I have a reason for asking. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially if you're going out for, with friends and they're able to have a dessert and you can't or they're able to have a starter and you can't or you know, you're know, you going for dinner with family and they're having all of these delicious things and you're like oh well um <laughs> i can have a salad <laughs> yeah. um yeah it's uh, it's stuff like that that proves it really difficult can it be very difficult for example to go to for i'm going to take a nice chinese or a nice indian in that you don't know is there gluten in the sauce is there gluten in the cooking yeah so a lot of um a lot of asian cooking especially has soy sauce in it and soy sauce has gluten and the regular soy sauce that you can buy everywhere, you mm. can get gluten-free, and there are some places that do accommodate, but it's not the easiest. Um, Indian, actually, most of their curries are fine, so just for everyone out there, most of the time, uh, Indian curry should be okay. Right, right, but soy sauce, and I, my life would be incomplete without soy sauce in it, so, <laughs> so it must be very yeah. diff. It must be very... <laughs> it took me a while to realise. <laughs> it took me a while to realise as well, so I think I kind of poisoned myself a couple more times after, and then I looked at the ingredients and was like, oh, yeah. right, okay, I have to buy gluten-free soy sauce. Good to know. And, and the sensitivity of it, Hannah, I remember a, a, a dietitian speaking to me about this years ago, again during um, Celiac Awareness Week, that your sensitivity mm-hmm. is extremely high. Moreover, now that you're living completely without gluten, your sensitivity mm-hmm. is very high. So even a smidgen of it yeah. can throw you off. Yeah, exactly. It, it's treated, well, I mean, I treat it the same way that I would a, an allergy to, let, let's say, peanuts, for example. Right. If it's been used at any process in the cooking, you can't eat it anymore because straight away, any even if it's just a tiny bit of flour, that can make you really sick. Right, so effectively your food also, for example, your food and my food shouldn't be prepared mm-hmm. on the same sub- surface or in the same pots. No, they shouldn't be, no, completely separate. Unless you are also eating a gluten-free meal, then it's fine, but if we're eating, if you were to have, let's say, pasta, if we're both having pasta, you have gluten-free, sorry, I have gluten-free and you have regular pasta, they can't cook them together, they would have to be completely cooked separately. Yeah. Um, they'd have to make sure they use completely different utensils, different pots, 
um, you know, chopping boards, for example, if they're cutting bread on it, they can't then use it to cut the same vegetables that they're going to use for someone who's celiac because the cross-contamination is just something that you don't even think about and it's major for someone with celiac disease. So it's it's like you you must treat it like it was something like severe peanut or fish mm-hmm. allergy. So so take your typical kitchen fridge or larder for people who wouldn't mm-hmm. know, Hannah. Like what what kind of things yeah. in the typical fridge or larder can you not have? Um, the typical things, obviously bread, pasta, um, sausages, for example, I can't have either. Um, a lot of ham is breaded, so I can't have that either. Um. There's a few things that um, the contaminate, like the cross contamination, is a thing. So, you know, a lot of times when you buy um, frozen chips, they use flour to make them um, crispier. Yes. So then, when you go to cook them, I can't have those anymore. So there's stuff like that. Um, you know, deep fat fryers that a lot of places use as well. If they don't have separate fryers, you can't eat at that. You can't of eat chips course. or you can't eat anything from there. Because I could put my frozen chips into my deep fried fryer, mm-hmm. cook them. You come along then, you've chopped up a potato and made good old-fashioned chips, which, by the way, I'll rob off yeah. you anyway. But you've made, you've made good old-fashioned chips, but dipping them yeah. into my oil contaminates yeah. them. Exactly, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, because um, anything could come off those chips that is gluten and it could stick to the ones I've made and it could straight away make me sick. Yeah, so they do recommend having separate fryers or, you know, you'd have to clean the whole thing out, get rid of all of the oil and restart just to be able to have something separate. Yeah, slow process then, cooking. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It can be. You know, when I think, Hannah, when I think of simple pleasures, like there's nothing I like more when I go home here in the afternoons um, and I I I take a quick break for myself, slapping together an El ham and cheese sandwich out of the fridge. Mm -hmm. It's such a simple pleasure. You can't do that. Yeah. I know. The main thing I miss is like toast with butter. <laughs> like yeah. I'd have like six or seven slices of that and I was good to go. But obviously I can't have that anymore. Uh, you yeah. can buy gluten-free bread, but it's not the same. No, it's not. Sorry, no, no disrespect to anybody who makes or sells gluten-free bread, but it's like putting butter yeah. on a beer mat. <laughs> it can be sometimes. <laughs> well, I know because I said to you, my son at one point in his life, we were worried about, about gluten intolerance. So, so we mm-hmm. took him off him. We took it off, him off it, and we bought a bread maker to make the gluten free bread. For, mm-hmm. And try as we might, try as we might, Hannah, it was like putting butter and mm-hmm. jam on a beer mat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is there is some good gluten free bread out there, and I have had some that's really really good. Um, mm. I still would recommend toasting most gluten free bread. I wouldn't have it cold, but yeah. um, it there improved. are some out there that are really good. Yeah, it has definitely improved. So is it, expen- is it an expensive condition to have? Do, do you have to spend money on yeah. minding yourself? Um, it is expensive, yeah. The main thing is the products are a lot more money than regular. So, you know, you can buy a loaf of bread, just sliced white bread in, you know, Tesco, Aldi or wherever, and it'll cost you like 60, 80 cents. And then if you buy the gluten-free alternative, it's like €2.50 mm. in most places. So, you know, it, it is a major change and stuff like that. Pasta as well. You know, some brands do have a cheaper option and, you know, that's really good. But until everything kind of comes down a bit more, I'm having to spend three or four times as much just to be able to eat what everyone else is eating. It's and, not quite fair. And pasta is a staple in any press and you can run 
run up a quick lunch or a bite of dinner with a bowl exactly, of pasta yeah. for half nothing. The pasta and the sauces are, are dirt cheap, but yours yeah. is two or three times the price. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you have to be very careful, especially if you buy sauces, that you know, you're buying one that makes sure it doesn't have any gluten in it. Oh, you check the sauce as well? Yeah, because you never know. It depends on the sauce, depends on the brand. Sometimes they might have flour in it to thicken it. And, you know, until you check it and double check. Right. You, know, you don't know for sure. And and I suppose picking up something like a sauce and reading mm-hmm. the label, you, you have to become very good at reading labels, don't you? Because... Yeah. It might not contain gluten directly, but it could contain something that's a source of gluten, correct? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there's obviously there's wheat, there's barley, there's some people are intolerant to oats as well. Nice. And a lot of the gluten free products have oats in them, so that makes it even more complicated. So it, oh. it's does a that, struggle. Does that, mean, does that mean porridge has gone off the menu for some people? For some people, yeah. You can get gluten-free oats, but if people are intolerant to oats, which a percentage of people who are celiac are intolerant to oats as well, it can cause, it can make them really sick as well. All right. Hannah, good to speak with with you and to learn, I think. This was a learning conversation about being diagnosed with something like celiac. It could take a very long time, first of all, and it's quite an expensive lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thanks for talking to me on the opinion line. I wish you well. Yeah, thank you, PJ. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. That's Hannah Brooks. 0818969696. If you have symptoms that are going on for a long time, get them checked. Abdominal pain, weight loss, feeling bloated, tiredness, fatigue, mouth ulcers. If you feel gunky on an ongoing basis and nothing seems to work, get checked at least. Get tested at least. Because they can test for it. 0818-969696. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, great chat with, with Hannah. And I think we'll put that up as a podcast extra later about living with... With Celiac, uh, if you have any stories of your own or experience of your own that might add to it, then you know where we are. 0818969696, Watched a Channel 4 documentary recently, uh, Dispatches. It's a brilliant program. It covers all sorts of topics and it covers topics that you would never even think about. And certainly this one would come under the topic uh, or the category of Topics I've never even thought about. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Probably because I'm AMN and be white. Uh, the Channel 4 documentary pointed to a situation where black women or women of colour are more than fi- are nearly five times more likely to die in childbirth or around that time. In other words, before childbirth and in about the six weeks afterwards. And it was asking a couple of questions. Why is this? And what is being done to counteract it. There's a campaign in the UK now called Five Times More. And, and Juby, uh, you know, I want to talk to you about this. I watched that documentary and as I said, this is a topic that would never have crossed my mind because it doesn't have to. But it is yeah. a very, very significant finding. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very well. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think it's something with a lot of people's minds unless you are um, a black person or someone from um, an ethnic minority. So, yeah, you're not alone there. Yeah. Why is it that the document, it was looking at why? Why? The thing is, it's hard to know. There's, until today, there's no real definite reason why that's the issue. But um, a few key points that have been highlighted are that one, you've got health disparities between, um, you know, black, Asian and minority ethnic women. And this can result in them receiving a lower quality of care. So, for example, um, women who come from ethnic minorities will experience um, poor quality care because they might be from, you know, poor socioeconomic backgrounds, um, language barriers, sometimes an issue where you don't have proper translation or proper communication. And most hospitals should be able to translate, um, you know, most languages using translator services. Um, other things could be people having medical profession professionals having a racial bias, and it might be something that's not you know a a, a conscious thing. It could be a subconscious uh, racial bias where you don't realise you're doing it. But these things still do lead to poor health uh, outcomes for and experiences mm. for Black, Asian, and minority ethnic women. Um, and also, there's still lacking in medical research, uh, you know, surrounding conditions that uh, directly affect um, black women and um, uh, ethnic mi- minorities. So this can lead to poor diagnostic rates. Um, I've had a friend tell me that she was in a hospital with pains in her stomach and Dr. felt her tummy and thought, well, it's, it's a little bit bigger than than usual. You know, you, ha- you appear to have a lump in your abdomen and straight away thought, right, you've got a fibroid and was going to prescribe her medication to shrink the fibroids. Mm. And uh, later on, they discussed with a more senior doctor who um, asked, well, have you outruled it being a pregnancy? And lo and behold, they did a pregnancy test and she was pregnant. But because 
fibroids is something that affects black women more frequently you know straight away that racial bias is there and he thought has to be a fibroid she's a black woman you know so that's just one example yeah the program referred to um was it described as a constellation of biases which is an interesting Mm -hmm. an interesting term yeah you make assumptions Yes, exactly. And like that example I've just given there, that's one one example where someone might make a bias based on, um, you know, what they perceive to be true for most black women. And, it's, it's, you know, it, it is quite a common condition for black women to have, but it doesn't mean it's always the case. And that's where you get poor di- diagnosis yeah. um, in terms of, you know, medical management and managing care. Um as a midwife myself, I do see how, you know, um, different women handle labour, for example, mm. and how, you know, ethnic minorities are treated and they're sometimes grouped into this, you know, put into this group or stereotype that, oh, she's she's Asian, she's going to have a really small baby or she's, she's black, she's going to be really vocal, really noisy. And you do see it and it's, sometimes it's something that's a subconscious thing and you just kind of group people into this stereotype when that's not always the case and that I think is what also leads to this um, poor health outcomes for women and, and poor maternity experiences. There's a, another myth, uh, at least I think it's a myth because I, I don't think there's any proof of it anywhere. This belief yeah. that some people hold that black women have a higher pain threshold. Pain threshold. Yes, that's nonsense, that is, is it? Belief. Oh, absolutely. So um, and I've seen it myself, actually, um, where their pain isn't taken as seriously as maybe a white woman would be. And I think that's because there's that subconscious belief that, yeah, she can handle pain a little bit better. She's got tough skin. They're strong. You know, they're able to handle it. But we feel pain the same as anyone else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that also um um, contributes to delay in treatment and delay in diagnosing severe conditions and delay and in terms of maternity care, delay in diagnosing, you know, um, labour or sometimes fetal distress. So um, you'd also see in figures, figures will show that black women are, um, are three times more likely to have a cesarean section than a white woman. And cesarean sections are, you know, major abdominal surgeries that really are kind of um, really, really, they're kind of... They're major you know, surgery. They're the last, yeah, they're last kind of last... Um, sorry, I'm just after a night shift, so I'm trying to get no my worries, words together. No worries, you're fine. No, no, C-section. C-section, a C-section is, is the, the last resort unless exactly. there's no other option. When yeah. there's no other option, you have a C-section because it's major surgery and it yeah. involves, it involves yeah. major damage to a woman's stomach that can take many months to recover from. Yeah, it takes, it's a longer recovery. It um, has more risks and more risks to mum and to babies. So to, those figures are quite high, you know, three times more likely to have a cesarean section, which is major surgery. And I think part of it is because of that stereotype and other, you know, uh, racial biases that people might be conscious of or um, unconscious of. So, um, yeah. So, so now that we know all this, Juby, and, and yeah. when we have information like this, good solid information, the next thing you do is you do something about it. And what is being done about it? 
at the moment, I um, there is a campaign running in the UK. Um, the Embrace report that came out in t- 2021 has shown that the figures have dropped, but yes. there is still a disparity where black women are four times more likely. So the yes. latest figures were in 2017, which showed that black women were five times more likely to die. Um, and now in 2021, um, the figures now show that black women are four times more likely. So there is a um, a drop in the numbers, but it's four times more likely is still not good enough. Um, and the campaign being run by five times more are um, they're advocating for black women. They're raising awareness by, um, you know, making online workshops um, encouraging people to petition, to sign petitions and to write letters to their local politicians mm. to um, raise awareness about this. And I don't know if anything like that is being done in Ireland. Yes. But I do know that this is something that's being done in the UK. And it's a great initiative that I really think um, Ireland could do with, Mm. with, you know, taking on board as well. There's a horrendous condition that I only heard about in passing. I should say to you, Juby, I've been interested in all things medical since I was a small boy. So sometimes (laughs) when I watch documentaries like this, you know, there's a thing that I had heard about many years ago called an AFE, an amniotic fluid embolism, which is a particularly nasty thing to happen. And the statistic that black women are three times more likely to die from this. Didn't know that. I actually, this is news to me too, and I'm not surprised. Uh, the the rates of uh, these medical morbidities do tend to run higher in in black women, and like I said, it's the re- the reasons can be hard to pinpoint. But mm. like I said, health disparities, racial bias, and sometimes the lack of medical research is where um you know we're lacking. So, um. Amniotic fluid embolisms, they're very, very rare. And that's yeah. just where the amniotic fluid, um, it should never really cross barriers between mum and baby. It's always enclosed in a, a sac around baby. Right. And then you've got membranes that contain that in the uterus. But on a very, very, very rare uh, occasion, amniotic fluid can enter the mother's bloodstream. And when that happens, it'd be very fatal. Yeah. It can cause blood clots and... Um, just it can cascade into uh, very serious, um, yeah. serious well, effects. It's, you know. it's a horrible, it's a horrible, horrible com- con- condition. I mean, a, a, a doctor friend of mine years ago came across a case when he was training, and he was describing it to me one time. Just this the kind of thing I discuss over a pint with my friends, and strange like that. And he said, "One of the most horrible yeah. things he's ever seen." <laughs> and and he just stand back and go, "What am I going to do here?" You know. Do be yeah, lovely, lovely to Five X more isn't they have a that's the symbol, isn't it? Five X more. Yeah, five X more. And what I think what um needs to happen as well in Ireland is you know raising awareness about the issues that Black women are facing, improving maternity outcomes, and for Black women themselves, what they can do is educate themselves about the birthing process. Uh, taking birthing uh, birth preparation courses. I teach um, birth preparation classes myself and I think it's important that women do know that they can influence their births. It's not all, um, you know, blood and gore and horror. It can be a really positive experience too. And um, my something I'm passionate about is 
educating black women on how they can have, you know, positive birthing experiences. And hopefully that'll um help reduce these figures as well when they take, you know, their their birth into their own hands and influence it in a positive way. Okay. Listen, good talking to you, Juby, and uh, go get some rest now if you're off just off a night shift. Go get some rest and thanks for hanging around to take my call. Appreciate it. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six five X more it's just, it's just, and the, the you'll find if you're going to the Channel Four, their their website, and you can watch stuff back. It's that's Dispatches is a fabulous program, and they all the little episodes they run for about twenty five thirty minutes at most, and that's a particularly interesting watch. Thank you for that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. That struck a chord with me. That comment that Asian babies are smaller. That was actually said to me when I was pregnant with my half Asian child. As it turned out, there was severe IUGR, which is a very complex condition. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Cork's beloved son, Sultans of Ping, plan a return to Cork for a special one-night-only performance at Cork Opera House on Saturday, February 11, 2023. Celebrating 30 years since the release of their debut album Casual Sex in the Cineplex Tickets for the show are now on sale Access all areas The Chemical Brothers have announced their Irish return with an open air show at Musgrave Park Cork on June 30th They have very special guests Ketama and James Holroyd and tickets are now on sale from Ticketmaster.ie Access all areas You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Coming to the end of the Premier League season and the whole business end of it will be happening before our very eyes over the next week or two. And Premier League Live is back to mark that occasion with a special end of season show. Sunday week, May 22nd. Trevor will be on from 3, powered by TalkSport on 96fm.ie live coverage, commentary and interviews and the dramatic twists and turns from the final day of the Premier League they have that Sunday, normally they're on Saturday Sunday, 22nd May from 3 at 96fm.ie or indeed on our app it's the Premier League live online with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership your sport on your terms streaming only the games that matter to you most with now and you're listening on Saturday or indeed on Sunday on the Cork's 96FM app or 96FM.ie. We got this message and I, I'm going to read this. This really is a for what it's worth message. Right? Because I have no idea. I haven't, even, I haven't even heard of the poem. But if anybody knows, our listeners will know. PJ, I have a poem in my head and I can't think of the name of it. Just the one line, actually. The sea said to the land, you've taken from me the one darling I had. It's about people giving out to the sea for taking the men in the boats. It's driving me mad. If anyone knows what it is, could they please let me know? I'm sure there are seafarers 
up and down our coast are the families of seafarers or trawler operators or fishermen or fisherwomen or whatever might have heard of this. Or people in the lifeboats, lifeboat volunteers. It's the sea said to the land, you've taken from me the one darling I had. Well, I was. I was watching it last night, uh, even though we weren't in it. I was, of course, watching it. It's that week of the year. You have to watch it. What was I watching? This, of course. Slightly livelier version than they play at the start of the show. I found it a couple of years ago and I like it. Buongiorno Turin. Hello, Dermot Manning. How are you? I'm very good, DJ. How are you? Very well. You were in that magnificent arena last night. My first question, is it real water? It is real water. That is not CGI. It is. It's wonderful. It's a brilliant arena, isn't it? It's look, it looked well on television, did it? Now, the audience, it looks great, but the audience is very far back from, from the stage because the green room, the hedges, <laughs> separate by hedges, is in front of it. But it's a magnificent arena. Dermot, you're, you were the man who last year were the only one of all my Eurovision correspondents, and you know I have many, who said to me to watch Italy. And you were, and you were yeah. right. Um, it so, was the batting. It was all about the batting last year. Yeah, yeah. This year, it is, and I say sadly because I don't like the reasons, it is all about Ukraine, is it not? Oh, it's the only story here. It is literally the only story. And you saw the reaction in the hall last night. It was it was interesting, actually. It was a, got a huge welcome. It reminded me, PJ, because you were in Dublin back in the 90s with me. And you remember when the year Bosnia turned up at the height of the siege of Sarajevo? And they were cheered to the echo in the arena. And it was very similar to that last night. Interestingly, though, the reaction after the song was a bit more muted. Well, the song didn't go down particularly well. Well, well but, let's, let's uh, see but why. Let's great, see great, why, got a great, got a great welcome. Let's see why, shall we, Dermot? <laughs> okay. It's not great. If it's your thing, it's your thing. That that little whistly bit makes for a a, a ringtone, but that's about the size of it. But but is it possible Saturday night, because we know now the last couple of years, this public vote, the juries will do, the 40 juries will do their thing, and you'll get a jury vote. And then we've seen the way the public vote just throws it, uh, can throw it completely off kilter. Do you think there is going to be a massive public vote for Ukraine? Oh, I think that's that's undoubted. It's it's also a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because if people all think that Ukraine are going to win, they're all going to bet on it. And therefore, they're going to vote for it to make sure they get their money back on their bet. And uh, and you multiply that around Europe. I mean, the big question is the juries. Um, I mean, the public vote does well in the contest. but The public winner hasn't won the contest in recent years. Uh, Norway won the public vote there in 2019, but the Netherlands um, came through and won the contest. Russia won the public vote in 2016, and Ukraine won the contest. So it's actually only 2017 when Portugal won both the jury and the public that it, that it actually won it. Mm. So... Thinking of the so Israel is, song, you won the Israel song. Was it Netta was her name? Yeah, the public the chicken, vote, the chicken, the chicken song. Yeah, the the public vote threw that to the top very quickly. They did, they did, but also the juries gave it a very strong vote as well. I mean, the question also is, will the juries, because the jurors' votes are revealed now. It used to be a case that the jurors are voted almost in secret. 
And um, but if, because of all this transparency and openness and all that kind of stuff, the ABU decided in their wisdom a few years ago that they publish now the jurors' actual individual scores. Mm. So jurors may feel, oh God, I better not not vote for Ukraine because I'd look like a monster, you know. But um, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, I mean, the jury the juries would have to have Ukraine up around fifth or higher if it's going to actually win with the public vote on its own. Mm. If it's any lower than fifth, I don't think Ukraine will make it. If if you were to make a call, Dermot, what do you think? Uh, I think the I think the Ukraine is a very strong one. I think it's, Italy itself is the one, another one. Beautiful. We heard we saw a clip of it there last night in the show. Goes down a storm, obviously here yeah. in Turin, and 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 then I wouldn't rule out the UK. The UK is very popular, brilliantly staged. There's a stunning. The fairness of the BBC, they decide they're actually going to put some money behind something. Yeah. They do, and they turned. I think they were very stung last year oh. when the, the James Newman got nothing. They got the rushes handed to them juries. last year. You know, they did. Literally. Yeah. And they were a bit humiliated and a bit embarrassed. And they've actually gone out of the way. And they've got a TikTok star like um, in Sam Ryder, who is their, their, their performer this year. He's got 12 million followers, I believe, on that platform. And is a huge, huge, huge internet um, sensation, really. Mm. And that'll, that'll, that'll do well because there's a lot of people like that watching the contest now. Mm. So, but I still think it's, it's, it's Ukraine. The one thing, PJ, is interesting is that you Ukraine has drawn the first half of the running order because that's how they do it now. Yeah. You, and then you pick your your half, first half or second half. And then when they know all the songs, the 25 songs for um, after the second semi-final, the producers do the running order. They they, 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 they slot the songs in into it. And no song, is there's a famous curse that no song has ever won the Eurovision being second in the running order. It's never happened in 66 years. Yes, and there's a strong feeling that if the producers decide they want a kibosh, the Ukrainian <laughs> chance they'll put them they'll put them in a second oh, so watch out, watch watch out for watch out for that on Friday morning now, if Ukraine has been slotted in number two it's to try and stop them now our Derry girl uh, is up uh, and she was in Derry girls but our, our Derry girl is up tomorrow night in second semi-final Now, when that won the, the vote here at home, I particularly liked her because there's something very, very lovable about her. How is she going down, Brooks Gullion, for Ireland? Um, well, I have to say, I don't know if you saw the like, late show when she left, you know, they got the, she got the send-off, as yeah. it were, before coming here to Turin. And it looked like the aftermath of some bad 21st birthday party with all <laughs> balloons on the floor and stuff. <laughs> and people were very, very pessimistic after seeing that. But in fairness, RT kind of taken the same leaf out of the BBC's book. They've actually put a bit of thought and care into staging this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks great. She looks brilliant. They've got five very, very good dancers, almost Robert Palmer-esque all sort of dancing around her they put some money you know the once more with pyros is a great line you hear at Eurovision and for once Ortiz actually paid for like flame and fireworks and stuff so it looks great will so, she go yeah, through Dermot? A chance I think she will. I think it's also one of the very, very few up-tempo songs in Thursday's semi-final. So I think for that reason alone, it should it has a good chance. Yeah, I think mm. it will go through. If I had Fingers a partic- if I had a particular favourite, and he did get through last night, if I have a particular favourite of this year's batch, it's that beautiful Swiss song. Has he any hope? 
Um, or someone called it. So basically, it's a John Lewis Christmas ad. If you listen to it's that gorgeous. song, it's very sweet. It's very sweet. But at the end of it, so you want somebody like to hand you a Christmas present with a puppy or something. It's very adorable. And the other one that went down well. You're telling Armenia. me so he's got no hope. Watch right? Armenia. Armenia. Switzerland has no hope. God, yeah, God. the one had the, all the, the post-it notes on, on the wall. Oh, and yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, Folks, folks, little song. But it very, went down very well last night. So, okay. as, And Moldova went down a storm. The bloody train from Chisinau to Bucharest. That had absolutely rocked yeah, the place. Our, our so. mutual friend Ken O'Sullivan nearly lost his reason when that went down so well. But there you go. Dermot, I leave you with it. You're, are you going to the second semi? I'm going to both the second semi-final and I'm going to the final on Saturday. I'm going can to we, all three shows. So can I'm we talk very fond of a great, of a great seat. Good man. Of course you can. Right. And I have a great seat. Look out, you can look out for me, PJ, because <laughs> um, interestingly, um, the cameras were looking for the fans last night and so we've all agreed as a gang of us. Actually, Donald Skeehan, the chef, was sitting behind me last night. He was, he's here. Go on. And uh, he was sitting in the crowd. So we're all going to put on our, our, our green jerseys and bring flags. So hopefully we might be seeing on telly on, on Thursday. Give us a wave. We'll all be watching. Dermot, thank you. Dermot, man. Uh, live from Turin he's going to the second semi-final to see Brooke hopefully qualify for the final but you can't take you just can't take your eyes off Ukraine they are the story they are the ones to beat unless as he said they get put into the second slot in the final because no one's ever won from second place you see Dermot Manning knows that kind of stuff that's why I keep bringing him on can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan On Cork's 96FM Okay, we've got a lead on this poem that we may or may not be able to find the author for or the complete text. This is someone who said they had a poem in their head and they can't think of the name. They just had the one line. The sea said to the land, you've taken from me the one darling I had. Someone on here thinks it was written by Paul Revere, who writes quite a lot about the sea. I'm not at all good in terms of poetry and knowing who, who writ what. But we'll see. That may be it. If anyone, if anyone, that line, if it rings a bell with anybody, the sea said to the land... You've taken from me the one darling I had. And as I say, we now think it might have been Paul Revere. 0818 96 96 96. Do you know what gave me a laugh this morning? <laughs> Listening to the early morning story about the GAA, Cork GAA. And they have said that under no circumstances will a concert ever again be allowed to move Cork senior hurlers or senior footballers out of Parky Creeve and we all know what happened with Cork and Kerry the football had to be moved to Parky Ring because of Ed Sheeran and all the palaver that went on about that over the last few weeks but this morning I can't remember now the name of who said it has gone out of my mind but they've said that look you're quite welcome to have the stadium for a concert we need concerts at the stadium but from here on in There'll be no concert. We'll force a Cork team 
out of party creep. And whether you agree with it or not, and I'm sure a lot of people do, it just I just it just struck me as funny. It reminded me of this little classic. Just imagine, right? Just imagine Ed Sheeran turns up at Parky Cueve with his guitar the next time. Just imagine, just picture that in your head for a second. He turns up next time with his guitar. We're doing a show here tonight. Yes, you're not doing any show here tonight. <laughs> Exactly. What's talk with this morning? The great unbelievables. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now thirty one women have been named across eight categories in the finals of the Network Cork Businesswoman of the Year Awards. And there are, as I said, eight categories and they will be awarded 7 o'clock Friday, May 27th at Fota Island Resort. And it will be, uh, I think for the first time in a number of years, Ingrid Syme is the... uh, Vice President of Network Cork, Ingrid, for the first time in a couple of years, it will be a fully in-person event. It must be great to have those back again. Good morning. Hi, TJ. Yes, thank you. We are so delighted. Um, yeah, it's been a while now. I think it's in 20, yeah, I think last year or the year before we talked, maybe we could have like a small little one, but maybe just the finalists in the room and we couldn't even have that. So it's really, really good to be back. And I think everyone is looking forward to the night. Fabulous. It must have been difficult to narrow down lists of finalists, given the, the huge explosion in women returning to the, to the workplace or the whole great resignation that's going on, people changing and pivoting careers. You had a lot to choose from. Yes, you're right. And actually, you know what? That num- The number and the width and the breadth of applications for all of those different categories, like we have eight. So... I think it does really showcase, you know, those movements you're talking about. And I think also, you know, the deliberate actions, I guess, that, you know, that women take in order to just make it all work, whether that's, you know, within their own career trajectory or, you know, the type of businesses they run or what they do with it. And, you know, we have like we have a rising rising star category, for instance, it's it's one of our two employee categories. And for you with women who are just, you know, starting out in their first career, but we also have others who, you know, for many reasons have had, you know, maybe a complete change in direction of their careers. And the same for um, emerging businesswomen, which is for, you know, startups and like under three years in business. There are so many roads that mm. lead our finalists to starting those particular businesses. And I just love that, PJ. Like, life is not the straight path, really, is it? Mm. Like, it swings and roundabouts. And we just love being able to um, acknowledge that, I think, and also celebrate it. Yeah. We could go through all the categories individually, but time wouldn't allow us to do that. But look at one in particular, <laughs> solo businesswoman. Yeah. And that's an interesting yes. category. It is. And so that's for women who've been in business for more than three years or more, you know. And that's, I think, a really significant milestone because, you know, we know that a lot of businesses fail within the first two years. So if you've gone beyond that, if you've gone to three and up, um, I think it's a, an amazing achievement and it shows resilience and it shows, you know, business acumen and it shows stamina. And I think also, you know, if we think of the time span, you know, these women would have all had to, on some level, pivot quite significantly when COVID hit. 
Um, and I think that is really worth looking at and celebrating too. Um, and before finalists in that category, actually, and like two are in film and video production, which I think is a great industry to see more women in. We've mm. Judy Russell from uh, David Academy, Carla Goodman from MTM Films. We have Cathy Fitzgibbon, Culinary Kelch, she's a food writer. Mm-hmm. We have Melissa Curley from Social B, corporate trainer and you know development. And again, just showcasing, I think, the wide range and the resilience of 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 our member businesses. So um, yeah, it's it's a it's a significant category, all right. There's also Power Within. It's a strange name for a category. Who's in there? <laughs> Yeah, the power within, it's it's really about, this literally about like the, the, your inner strength um, and your ability to, um, to to rise above, I think, or just kind of accommodate uh, what's happening to you in life. Um, we have, actually, that's our biggest category. This mm. this category was, um, came out of it, COVID really, because in 2020, you know, the awards kind of process started in March 2020 and we were there going, okay, what do we do now? Like half our members didn't know, did they have a business? What was their business? What was going on? And it was really important that the awards, you know, that we had awards that year, but um, we didn't really know what it was going to look like. And the power within was created for those who um, didn't really know what to say in the business awards application because everything was turned upside down. But we wanted to acknowledge that you can draw on... um, on your inner strengths to just overcome what life had thrown at you. And yeah. that time it was specifically about the pandemic. I think now it's more about, you know, th- there's other things happening in our lives too. Um, we have, and again, some people have uh, our finalists in more than one category. So we have people, um, Cathy Gibbon is actually both in Solo Business Women and um, Power Within. We have Orla McAndrew from Orla McAndrew Food, with Anne-Marie Meckelver from um, Just For Men. Maura Mackey Design, Diane Higgis Design, Linda O'Connell runs Digi Nomad, and Carla Goodman again from MTM Film, and Annabel Lola from Besatelli um, Leisurewear. So a uh, wide range of businesses, wide range of, of women, and, you know, they're in that final because they're showcasing how they have just really drawn on their inner strength to, you know, combat whatever life is thrown at them but also part of it is also what you do to bring others with you which I think is, is a beautiful part of that too mm. It's a man- magnificent event to, to highlight what women are doing in business but it's also a great networking night and business people are like that, they're, they're never really just out for the social occasion, they're networking furiously from the uh, minute they get out of the taxi Absolutely. And it's really important and it will be a great, uh, great event for that. So you mentioned it already, but it's on in Foot Island Resort on, on May 27th, open to members and non-members, men and women. And we have a number of distinguished guests as well. We have Minister Michael McGrath will be there as a guest speaker. Gina London is our host. And um, you're right, somebody said to me at the recent event we had, um, they weren't a member, but they were just at it. And um they said there's a lot of organizations like it's supposed to be all about networking and, and, you know, business. But I think here I'm actually seeing it happen in the room because people were talking, exchanging um, I don't know, business cards or, you know, coming up with connections and, and just really supporting each other. And I think that will definitely happen on the night, too. Well, I mean, so um, great opportunity. And you've Gina hosting. I mean, Gina could network in an empty room. That's Gina. 
Exactly. Can you imagine what she can do here? <laughs> <laughs> and she knows I'd say exactly. that about her too. She can network it. In it. <laughs> the, the overall winner I last know. year was a great pal of our show, Tara Shine, um, after for Change by Degrees. She's been really active since, hasn't she? She has, and like Change by Degrees are doing amazing, and they're doing amazing work as well. And uh, Tara actually went on to win the STEM category at national level. Mm last year too. I think she was one of the, uh, well, I don't want to say one of the few members from Cork who actually won at national, but she was. And uh, I think that really just shows the quality and drive that we have within our membership. And we're really proud of, of Tara and actually Madeleine from Change by Degrees won an award um, a couple of years ago too. So they have a great track record um, in many ways and we're really proud of them and really delighted to have been part of, of, of their journey so far. So, no, they're amazing. Excellent. Big night ahead, 27th May at Photo Island Resort. And I know my pal, uh, John, and his concierge team will look after you exquisitely down there on the night for the Network Cork City Businesswoman of the Year Awards. Ingrid Syme, who is the Network Cork Vice President for 2022, thank you for being with us on the opinion and good luck to all the nominees and to everybody involved. 0818 96 96 96. Getting back to celiac, talking earlier to Hannah about how celiac disease has affected her life and going through just the simple things about just trying to prepare me, prepare a meal or go out for a meal. Um, my daughter was diagnosed at eight years of age. It really is tough going then for a child to transform their life and their diet. We were told it can take up to 18 months to feel better, and that's true once you're on the correct diet. We literally now have to have two kitchen areas going to keep everything separate. On um, what would make the city a better and more attractive place? This quite a thing, lot coming in. Trees, 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 and more trees, says Norma. Thanks, Norma. I, I don't suppose you don't mean trees of the robot variety. No. And Kate was on to us from the Cork Summer Show just to remind us that it's a great family day out. Uh, there'll be no charge for children under 12. 12 to 16 year olds, just a fiver each. And they have uh, park and ride buses heading out to Curraheen as well for the event. It'll be appealing to a broad range of people. Uh, a country event staged in the city. And they've got some great music lined up. Sharon Shannon is the headline act for the Saturday. True Tides are back from L.A. Uh, they're playing on the Sunday. The Cork Summer Show coming up in June. Thanks for that, Kate. 0818 96 96 96. Trees, 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 trees. All right, all right, all right, all right. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary, and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live. With now, stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96FM app. Cork's 96FM. We did uh, 
thing on the programme earlier in the week about dream jobs and who's got their dream job and should you ever stop looking for your dream job and what is your dream job. And literally, as we were talking about dream jobs, in lands a job that while I'd love to do it, I would be fired after half a day because I'd be eating the produce. Tony Lenehan from Shandon Sweets up there in John Redmond Street. You are looking for someone to come and join the team. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you keeping? Great altogether. Great altogether. Before I get into the job you're offering, isn't it fantastic that the last time we talked... You were struggling to get back after the fire, and here you are looking for people to work. That's it, PJ. It's been like it's been a rough two years, two and a half years actually, and it is. We've come out the other side of it, and it is a real, real kind of a positive story at the end of it. So it's happy, happy days for everyone. Brilliant. Who are you looking for? What do you need them to do? Basically, <laughs> somebody who can just kind of. Um, just like that has a good work ethic and that just I suppose the one thing you can't have in this job PJ is a sweet tooth because you won't last five minutes you will not last five minutes with the amount of um, temptation in your way every day so a sweet tooth you can't have but have a good work ethic good with people and somebody who's just literally just likes to work that would do me mm. absolutely perfect. You're looking for someone then to work to work in the shop. Work in the shop. Uh, they can, you know, work with me in the manufacturing side of it if it's called on that. It's a kind of a job, PJ, that no two days are the same. Um, you can just kind of you can be called upon anything on any given day. It's not a set kind of a thing. That kind of a way, PJ. Because mm. I know that some people will be looking. You know, I love what they do, and I'd love to learn how to do it. Like, is there yeah. an opportunity for a person to learn? There PJ? is, there is, PJ, and that's that's the one thing, PJ, because as you know yourself, uh, sweet makers they're extremely rare. I think I'd be one of the last ones left, I'd say, that, that, that I know of in Ireland. I don't, I don't know any other sweet makers. We've applied online looking for them and we can't come across them because uh, I'm third generation. And when I finish, there'll be nobody coming behind me to take over sweet making. So obviously, that's mm-hmm. the kind of route that I'm going down as well, PJ, is to find somebody who can literally, you know, take an interest in making sweets in confectionery, in that line of things. And if it leads to that, it'll be absolutely Brilliant. the best thing for everyone. And this is old-fashioned sweet making by hand from it raw is. materials. I mean, like, that that must be... That's a fascinating <laughs> job, Tony. It is. And it's a very... Like, I don't kind of see it that way, PJ. It's a very skilled job. And people look at me because you're handling a lot of hot produce, 280, 300 degrees Celsius... We make it look like child's play doing it because I'm doing it for 41 years. But people, when they look at it, they go, God, the romantic notion goes, they go, there is a lot of hard work involved in it. There's a lot of um, kind of long days in the summer, in the heat or whatever, because obviously it's a hot job. It's like being in a kitchen of, you know, of a hotel or whatever. So it, it would take a special kind of person to take a liking to this. I did, PJ, when I left school, I went in there and I absolutely loved this with my grandfather at the time. Then my father took it over in the very early 80s and whatever. And like from then, I just absolutely loved it, PJ. I loved the whole thing of 
making something from scratch mm. by hand. What's your, fav- what's your favourite part of it, Tony? Is it the, the mixing, the heating, the melting, or the chopping them up at the end? What's the favourite part? The, 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 the best part, TJ, is seeing people buy my produce and coming back time and time and time and time again. You know that you're making a good produce. My grandfather often said that to me. He said, if you make a, a bad produce once, you're finished. Make a good produce and it'll do you for the rest of your life. It's funny, Dean O'Cregan, you say that you're only as good as your last bag of chips. You're only, as good, you're only as good as your last bag of bullseyes <laughs> or clover rocks. Do, do, do you do, do, you do my, my favourite is clover rock? Do you do my favourite? Which, the clover rock? Yeah. I do, PJ. The people of Cork and the people of Munster, absolutely. They, they just, I don't know whether it's the colour, the, the red, red and white. Of course it is, Tony. It's the red and white. Yeah, Red and white yeah. Cork. That's yeah. probably what that's probably what it is. They're just they've always been the staple diet of everybody in Cork. Clove Rock, no matter where you go, yeah. people have had Clove Rock. Yeah, they're great, and and the bullseyes and everything else. Well, look, you're looking for someone. You got it now. That people have to apply by email yeah. because you're so yes. busy. Yes, it would be it would be email only because. I just wouldn't be able to deal with people calling to the door and phone calls. It just gets a bit kind of all muddled up. So by email, and I can deal with everybody, I promise, individually from there, PJ. Info at shandonsweets.com. Info at shandonsweets.com. Tony, thanks. Good, Good luck and continued success with the business and hope you get the ideal person. And maybe, who knows, he'll even get an apprentice to to learn the incredible craft of making sweets. There are some videos online you'll find, and I think a couple of years ago, the street fleet went up to Shandon Sweets and they did a video of making a batch of sweets. And it's fabulous to watch. The smells. Oh, lads, the smells. Stop. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Now we're asking for your ideas all morning with regard to, you know, how you make the city more friendly, particularly more family friendly. And we took some ideas of what people would like to see, uh, including, (laughs) was it Paula? who said trees, trees, Norma, trees, 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 and more trees. Uh, Robert says if you put up all the trees, that section of the students that get drunk and go on the rampage, it happens, not everyone, but it happens. They'll tear them down. That person must just be looking for free firewood. Robert, Robert, you get me in trouble. 0818969696. But there's a documentary on RTE1 coming up soon, which examines what needs to change in order to make our cities more livable and indeed more sustainable. And conservation architect Roisin Murphy presents the documentary. Good morning, Roisin. Uh, Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely to be on the show. And lovely to have you. You, You're looking, and Cork features in the documentary, you've been looking at at our cities and big towns to identify where we might start with a view to, like we, as I look out the window here, looking down onto Patrick Street, I'm always very sad to think that there's all those upper stories and upper floors and no one living on them. No one lives in our city and we need to change that. I think that's really what the show is about. Um, 
uh, Jeff, our producer, t- he went out in COVID and looked at the empty streets of Dublin and thought, gosh, you know, really there is nothing. And it has been a, a kind of a theme that people have been talking about in a way for the last uh, 20 years. You know, we had a living over the shop scheme, but it never really took off. And then we had the crisis or the recession and it got worse. There was more dereliction. But it's like we forgot we can live over the shop. It is. It, it is seems to have kind of only now since COVID people are kind of going actually I wouldn't mind living closer to town closer yeah. to the shops I, I would love to go out and have a cup of coffee in a car in a bistro as they say yeah. did that whole notion that you could have a beautiful environment maybe because of the 5k thing that we kind of got very much more intimate about our style of living mm. I don't know but it's definitely um, even in the run up to this program it's amazing the response of people people really are interested in what and how their cities and towns and they want to live. They don't necessarily all just want to live two hours away from work. They would like to live, not spend two hours in traffic. So that's the other reason I think that this suddenly is coming back into people's consciousness. Knowing that I was going to be talking to you this morning, I I, I was walking across town just after seven this morning, looking up at the upper stories, thinking, why does nobody live there? And I remember when they launched it here in Cork back in, that was the 90s, some people built lovely little apartments in small spaces. And I know it happens all over the world. So why do you think, Roisin, it doesn't happen so much in Ireland? I think, I, I, do you know something? I think it's because we're a young nation. I think um, it, 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 we don't really value our own heritage, our built heritage. I think, we, you know, we're, we've been very poor for many generations. We all lived in penal times and very, very, we had a famine. Like we have a history of poverty that's quite dire. And then when we were living in towns, we lived in poor conditions in tenements. And then the living over the shop thing, we kind of embrace suburbia, like I think because we're rural based and we all f- flew out to suburbia with our, you know, with the car with and thinking it's a bit of country life. But the generation that is now, maybe they have more self-confidence, they've traveled more, uh, been to Paris, been to other places, and they see that there are people living mm. upstairs as such. Or maybe they're sick and tired of urban sprawl, you know? I think they are, but I think we, I, I, you know, that has taken a couple of generations to work itself out. But you can still see that everybody dreams of the, the kind of one-off house, like Grand Designs, mm. Dermot's show. You know, all of these shows are all about the individual castle, okay? But mm. what I think COVID has taught us is living together in a community is really vibrant. And if you invest in that, mm. it's worth it. Like, you know, we went, we missed people. We had that moment where we were kind of going you went to the park and it was just such a joy to see other people. So I think the town is the machine for living. The town and the city is really complex. It's designed for us to really enjoy life, the Mm. cinema, the cafe, the good supermarket, your vet, your school. But you also don't want to be having to travel in to experience that. So there's a thing in the, and I've taught me because I'm on my favourite topic here, but there's a thing in the programme which is called the 15 minute city. I don't know if you've heard about it. I've heard this concept, tell me more. Yeah. Okay, so the 15-minute city, it's its a concept that's very old, it's not new, but it's this idea, or walkable cities are what they call The idea is that you should be able to kind of within a, get a bus ride or walk or cycle to whatever you need to sustain your life for, if, in 15 minutes. It shouldn't take longer than that for you. Yeah. So if you're going to work, it should be, so that means you have a good public transport system, you have good hospitals. So it's a 
concept that people have realized, even if you're doing it in suburbia, so if you're living in the suburbs, that you should still be able to visit by foot, preferably, that you shouldn't be doing this thing of driving to a supermarket or driving, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it keeps life sustainable, but... It, it happened in lockdown. This concept that there's a guy called Carlos Moreno and he's an architect who's been trying to plug away at this and he went to the mayor in Paris and said, I want to do it and she said, let's do it. So yeah. she just, could, the Parisians are a bit wild about it. That's why they're such a beautiful city. They really invest in city planning. Yeah. So one they're going to do my, that in each... One of my favourite cities yeah. in the world... Um, rushing is the city of Palma in Mallorca, the capital of Mallorca. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. I'm yeah. sure you've probably been there, if not. Um, it's it's a little Warren parts of it, of narrow little streets, yeah. tall buildings. Mm. So you see this yeah. little tiny cafeteria on a corner, typical yeah. cafeteria or tapas shop on a corner. Yeah. And three floors up, in a little place not much wider than the studio I'm sitting in right now, there's a guy living, because yeah. there's a little flat. And he lives yeah. there and he works yeah. in the shop around yeah. the corner and they've embraced that. And it's brilliant. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, that's the way we... It is brilliant. And you, it is, you know, in a way, it's it, it's so achievable, it's so doable and it should be done. But people are allowing the upper floors of their buildings well to lie waste. It's one of yeah. the things I never understand. You're kind of going, you could sell that out, you could rent that. What You know, there's 180,000 vacant units in Ireland and we spoke to Peter McVerry Trust who are using vacant and derelict properties mm-hmm. uh, for pe- helping take people off the home the housing list and not just we're not just talking about people who are homeless they're talking they're taking people off who basically can't get a mortgage young families who may be working but they're saying that the housing crisis in Ireland could be solved through the repurposing of uh, vacant properties which is alarming and startling because mm. all we hear about is we, we haven't met the target but what government or legislation really need to do is target vacant units they need to really spearhead this because it's good for the environment all that carbon is built into existing architecture as well and also you're going to make uh, towns far more vibrant and, and, and get that thing that you're talking about about living up in the Warren and you look up and you see somebody sticking their head out and watering their plants that's yeah. what makes cities exciting doesn't it? That's why you go and visit them. Yeah, you never know what you're going to find around any corner. So it's it's RTE one ten fifteen uh, Thursday 15. evening tomorrow. Just yes. after, just after the Eurovision, then <laughs> big city. Yes, and big you can city see. plan. <laughs> Yeah, thanks so much for having me on to talk about pleasure. it. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. Roisin Murphy, it looks like a fascinating documentary. Big City Plan, RT1, tomorrow night, quarter past ten. Yeah, it's it's just, I, I, I remember doing this in the 90s when I was working in the newsroom, the late 90s. They had fierce enthusiasm for a year or two about living over the shop. And there was a few lovely little places were customised in, in North Main Street, and I think he got a tax break. I'm not sure. I think he got some kind of a tax break to do it. And again, just looking down over Patrick Street. And this morning, walking up Patrick Street at 10 or 5 past 7 and looking at all of the derelict and vacant and just empty, hollowed out husks of buildings that could be homes or it could be housing projects of some kind. It's sad. I remember being in... in I mentioned it before Palma there's a there's a bookshop in these little warren of streets and you walk into this bookshop and it's a very pleasant but somewhat grumpy man who runs it 
and he sits among all these books. If you've ever been there, you probably know. And it's like five, six floors up. Because I asked him, I was looking for some crime novels. I said, crime? I mentioned an author or two. He said, sixth floor. And you go up to this warren of books. And uh, I got chatting to him and I bought a pile of books. And I said, I said, you, and, I said and I said, what's up at the very top? Oh, I live there. So he was living at the very, very top. Some more ideas of your ideas for bettering the city. Some nice ones in during the morning. A lot of people are saying use the water more, use the the river more, have water taxis and boat tours and trips around the harbour and stuff like that. Anne says, PJ, the city needs a no-phone zone, an area where people actually talk to one another. That would be great. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I wonder how that would go. There's the thing. Would you, would you like... Supposing you went into a street now, a particular street, and you discovered you can't get to use your phone in there, and you see they can use sneaky technology now as well to block phones in certain places. But would you like to see a part of the city where there was a no phone? For example, take, take Bishop Lucy Park uh, in there with the seats and the fountain and the lovely green area and all that. How would you like to see that as a no phone zone? That's a nice idea, Anne. Where people actually talk to one another, not sit there staring into a phone, of which I am guilty, I will admit. Tom says they need to sort out disabled driver access to Patrick Street if they really want to make it inclusive. Yeah, I'm not sure, Tom, I think, I don't know, are there actual disabled spaces on Patrick Street itself? I know there's a whole load of them in some of the streets off it. But are there any actual blue badge spots on Patrick Street itself? That's Tom's Tom's point. 0818969696. Now, Arts for All, the arts sector has unveiled what it calls an inclusion and diversity charter to build a city where the arts are for everyone. Owen Nash, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Tell me about Arts for All. So Arts for All is a, an initiative, really, uh, and an alliance of arts organisations and groups and um, that come together really to focus on inclusion and diversity within the arts and through the arts for uh, Cork City. And we're hoping to have Cork City recognised as a European centre of excellence for inclusive arts mm. at some stage in the future. And this isn't um, just about of, being able to get into a gallery if you're in a wheelchair. It's about so much more than that. Absolutely. I mean, what we're looking at is accessibility as being one part of that in terms of physical accessibility. But there also is a lot of... Um, attitudinal barriers maybe in different different sectors different organizations towards certain uh, certain groups and one of the key challenges i think we have is representation of that diversity of art that comes from different sectors in in the output so in our galleries on our stages i mean i've been asking the question how many disabled actors do we see on stage when we go to see pieces um you know these are the types of kind of questions we're trying to answer and trying to work together as an alliance to, to work through. Mm. You had an, an unusual launch. You brought this big letter A and you brought it by boat. 
That's right. We floated it down the river to try and grab some attention. Uh, it floated down the river. Helmara helped us out with that. Um, and that kind of came down, to, came down the river and it was brought then into, um, we, we brought it into where we were launching and it became a kind of centerpiece of that. Then we showcased a range of different kind of uh, organizations and the work that they're doing. So again, there's some amazing work going on in the city around inclusion and diversity. So we had representation there from Cope Foundation, uh, Cork City Arts, Cork ETB, um, and lots of other kind of organizations that are really supporting the agenda of inclusion and diversity in their work. I suppose what the Alliance is trying to do now is there, there are all these brilliant pockets of work ha uh, happening. Mm. And what we're hoping to do is come together strategically so that we can kind of connect with each other, share the work we're doing, the learnings we have, and help each other all to be better at how we how we do this work. Like if you could just take something simple like music and, and in terms of diversity... Cork is a very different place than when it was when I was growing up and even 20 years ago. The people living here from different cultures, different corners of the world. And what's wonderful is they've brought their music with them and they've brought their dance with them. And it's fantastic. Exactly. And I think it's embracing that cultural expression uh, helps us to understand each other. And often we do... We kind of um, we discuss a lot different cultures, but what the arts give us is that experience of kind of different cultures. So when we hear a piece of music from, you know, uh, a different culture, or when we see a piece of dance, or are involved in a piece of movement and dance, it gives us a totally different kind of experiential understanding of that and what we want to try to do then is share that creativity amongst our population or amongst, amongst our citizenship here in Cork so that we engage with each other creatively and not just through verbal ways but actually creatively share and learn about each other yeah. and I think that's one of the key things we can do there's some beautiful examples of this work going on throughout the city the Glucksmen are working with uh, refugees at the moment through their visual art programs Crawford Art Gallery are working on it the Firk and Crane are doing dance programs um, and MTU are uh, doing a brilliant inclusive music program as well mm. so like our, our institutions and our organisations are doing the work what this alliance wants to do is build on that and bring those skill sets together in a way that we can share expertise and ensure that we're all doing the best we can in terms of our uh, inclusion and diversity. It must be very exciting, Owen, in the arts sector to think of what it is, for example, now, that our new Ukrainian friends are going to bring to us. The culture from Absolutely. There. Yeah, and we've seen, again, examples of this reaching out from the arts sector um, to... to you know, re Ukrainian refugees that are coming now into Ireland and that openness about the cultural, not only that we can offer, but that they can share with us and that understanding. And what I, what I always say about the arts is the arts give us a way to communicate and connect beyond words. And what's one of the biggest challenges that we're currently facing um, with Ukrainian refugees who are coming in as a result of the war on Ukraine is the language barrier. But then this 
this way of connecting with people that is non-language based but is arts based allows us to connect with people beyond language and I think that in essence is one of the most important ways that we can again connect beyond words and communicate and share uh, share together and learn about each other. What's remarkable as well and as you know my own son has a, has a disability and, and he for a while got very involved in a, a samba band and they all had a, a disability of some kind and to hear that band coming and the, the, the noise would blow you away but the music coming and, and you would you'd, you'd become completely blind to any difference you just hear music and sound Exactly. And I think that's what, again, like the idea of disability inclusion in terms of our work, there still are a lot of challenges around that for for organisations and ways of, of kind of ensuring that we're inclusive for all citizens. But the UN Convention of Rights uh, for Persons with Disabilities and the latest um, European Disability Rights Strategy now enshrine that rights to arts and culture. And it's essential now that we here ensure that pathways are available to that diversity of learners, whether it's autism, intellectual disability, whether you're coming from a different country or don't speak uh, English or Irish or the native language here, that we find pathways for people to be included, that we learn from each other through creativity and work forward. And again, there's brilliant examples throughout the city on that. And of course, Arts for All are trying to connect those so that we can all learn from each other. And that's why on artsforall.ie, we have that way of bringing that information together, helping people to connect and anybody can sign up and become signatories to our new charter. And then we will then include them in any meetings or consultations and discussions or learnings that we will be having going forward. And we're really opening that up to anybody. Excellent. Now you have an event coming up as well in a week or two at the Cat Club, Cork Arts Theatre, called Where's My Art? That's ambitious. Tell me about it. So uh, our theatre group up at Cope Foundation called Sewish Arts Theatre Group are um, were successful in getting some commun- community from uh, Community Foundation of Ireland funding. And this theatre group now is asking the question, Where's my art? Again, this piece is a piece of theatre, multidisciplinary. Um, so you'll see dance theatre and it's really coming from the creatives that we work with. And they're asking the question about representation of people with intellectual disabilities within the creative sector. This piece will be a challenging piece to the audience and different organisations to ask, where where is this work? It's happening between the 24th and the 28th of May, it's at 8pm every night and tickets are on sale currently from CorkArtsTheatre.com. So we're really encouraging people to come, share with us, learn with us, kind of experience the work that's coming directly. And one of the stories, if I might, is an incredible story of um, a, a man in his 20s now who uh, who was originally born in Romania and was kind of... Uh, orphanage in one of the institutions there and this is an amazing story about how arts and culture have supported this man's life as he came here to live in Ireland that maybe that opportunity would not have been afforded to him had he remained in that institutional setting and it brings me just kind of finally to say that these types of massive institutional care settings still exist 
in certain countries in Eastern uh, in Eastern Europe and other, where's other areas around the world. And we're kind of trying to highlight again the importance of inclusion, about living in society with people and that, in, that segregation and institutionalisation is not how we can really enable people to maximise their potential. Okay, and you can find plenty more information on arts for all. Uh, artsforall.ie on thank you uh, on Nash OAM1896 your idea is coming in still on a better city um, and no phone zone looks like a, that looks like a, a, a dream but someone's agreeing with me and this should have been there years ago and did I see a message earlier on in the morning where someone said it was mooted that we'd have this but the powers that be weren't having any of it a boat taxi or a river bus from the city to Cove and back. That would be some serious ideas. The Giving for Living Radiothon, May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. I'll be there. Yeah, 14 days. Just 14 days to go now. The countdown well and truly on to the Cork's 96FM. Giving for Living Radiothon, May 26th, kicks off until 28th. And once again, raising funds for Cork Cancer Services. We need your help with this. And you've been so good to us in the past. And we have no doubt you'll be good to us again. Coffee breaks are back this year. We couldn't do them last year. And we certainly couldn't do anything the year before. But coffee breaks are back. Have a coffee break at work or at home. Fill a change, collector box or wear your jersey to work. Do anything like that. And particularly on Jersey Day, Friday, May 27th. And there's a fundraising pack. You can get your hands on one of those at 96fm.ie and be with us for the Cork's 96fm Giving for Living Radiothon. Kicking off 6am, May 26th. Only on Cork's 96fm. That is our lot for today. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Talk to you tomorrow just after 9. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.